what you're getting triggered by in other people, if you can identify what type they are, that shows you what type you need to develop in yourself. Ooh, so it wow. will tell you what your growth area is. You know, if I get pissed off by threes, that means I have a big shadow three and I need to figure out what it wants and how to develop it in a healthy way. Or I'm going to be lacking a big part of my potential humanity. Hey, everybody. Welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm Scott. And I am Mace. Welcome to episode number 110, everybody. 110 episodes. Think about how many hours of conversation and editing, and that's a lot. It's a lot of talking. That's not what we're here to talk about, but um, this is an Enneagram 6 episode, Enneagram 6, but honestly, everybody, it's Enneagram 6, but this is an episode for any Enneagram enthusiast or learner out there. Yes, if you're not an Enneagram 6, you should still want to know about Enneagram 6s. Well, yes, but also, there is a lot of discussion. We are interviewing a 6, but we're interviewing Ben, who is a certified Enneagram teacher through Russ Hudson. This is a milestone. A milestone, I know. I know. We're like very excited. And so he has a lot, a lot of wisdom to share about the symbol itself, the movement of the symbol. The conversation goes in all different directions, beginning talking about the six, but it definitely takes another turn and kind of goes a lot more into just the depth of the Enneagram and what it has to offer in terms of self-growth, in terms of empathy, in terms of the symbol. It's its a lot of good stuff for anybody out there. That's all I can say. I mean, we can say that we were very, um, what's the word? It, it, it was shocked almost <laughs> with how much stuff he was saying that we had never heard before. Yeah. You oh, know? For and just the way he was approaching it and talking about it. Let me just give you guys a taste. He so Ben was saying he like takes people like he, he's a really big believer in the movement. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you guys know what I'm saying when we say that like Gertie. moving along the the paths of the enneagram like literally moving not not just the not just imagining movement but standing up and moving along the enneagram and, and using that as a a, a journey of sorts going mm-hmm. on a journey through mm-hmm. the numbers and the ego fixations and all of it mm-hmm. and all sorts of different things you can think about on that journey and so we asked about the existential gap, which is the big gap between Enneagram 4, Mace, and Enneagram 5, me. And then he just talked about, like, 4 and 5 both being really hot. Yeah. And he said, up until on the journey, up until that moment, I don't want to give what Ben's saying away, but, like, this is just an example because he says so many other great things. It's like, up until, during the 1, 2, and 3, it's raw food. And then the heat is in Hades, essentially, which is the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And 4 and 5, that gap between 4 and 5, like, cook the food. Yeah. And I won't say any more, but aren't you intrigued? <laughs> we were like, what? We've never heard that before. It's this, the conversation is really, really good. And I, I hope that six is out there appreciate, but folks appreciate also Ben's just clarity with what he's sharing. Yes. Um, this podcast, if you know Scott and I, you know that we love to ramble. We are not experts. We're, we remind folks that we're not experts from the beginning. We're having a conversation about what we've learned, but this is still a conversation, but it is with an expert, and he's very thoughtful with all that he's sharing, and it, it's very clearly coming from a place of deep knowing, mm-hmm. so it felt really awesome to 
to kind of bring that forward to you guys. And I know I haven't listened back yet, yet, but I'm like, I need to listen back because the ideas are already spinning in my brain mm-hmm. and I need to rehear them and they're, they're going to keep spinning in there. <laughs> Knowing and living. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. He lives it. It seems like, uh, you know, he just doesn't seem to be talking in theory. No. Um, so everyone, I, I, I started this Instagram called Enneagram reposts. It's sort of a joke. I didn't do it with like passion and conviction and like, a goal in mind. I really just wanted to see how I could get some followers on Instagram to talk about Enneagram, but I've connected with some interesting Enneagram people and yeah. there's a, an Enneagram six meme account run by an Enneagram six. And I asked if I could interview her and she said, no, but I'll connect you with this guy. And that's how we found that's him. So that's pretty then. cool. So all the way in New York, an Enneagram pal. <laughs> so here it is. And I think we'll have him on again. Okay. Ben Campbell. Um, Stay tuned till the end because he'll tell you some ways you can connect with him. Mm-hmm. And, and he's offering lots to. of courses and yeah. things like that. Yeah, so like definitely check him out. We'll probably try to post that on our Instagram too. We used to do show notes, but we're not doing show notes. So okay. Can't do show notes. Hope you enjoy this episode. Bye, everybody. <laughs>We are recording now, and we are on a Zoom call with our new friend, Ben, who, who is an Enneagram 6. And um, hello, Ben. <laughs> uh, hi. And, and uh, so we wanted to start by hearing just a little bit about your journey of discovering the Enneagram and uh, then eventually how you discovered your number. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so I grew up with the Enneagram. Um, I'm 25 now, and I learned about it when I was 12 or 13 Hmm. from my mom. And uh, she discovered it after her journey of finding her birth mother. So there's this really cool story. She'd been looking for a long time, and she eventually found her birth mom, who happens to live in Oregon. She went out to go visit her. And then her birth mom introduced my mom to the Enneagram. And my mom was like, wow, this is super cool. That's cool. (laughs) That's like a really crazy thing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they, they had the wisdom book, and my mom read it, and she was just blown away. And then she looks them up, and she's like, wait, these guys are still alive? We have to, like, go. They're teaching? We need to go do their thing. And she convinced her birth mother, who is um, a nine, my mom's a four, that they would go to the training together. So they went and did the training together, as far as I know, about 10 years ago. Hmm. And then uh, my mom came back and introduced it to me. That we would often have, like, chats in the car going on long car rides to clarinet lessons and whatnot um and at first she thought i was a four and she handed me the book to read and it's like okay there's a lot of four going on um but then i looked at the sixth chapter and there was that list at the beginning of the sixth chapter and it just nailed me like every <laughs> single day. yeah you but said you were like five out of five yeah yeah much everything i i so i knew pretty quickly when i saw that uh that I was a six and haven't had any doubts about that since. Wait, and how old were you? Did you say about 13? Yeah. Hmm. That's so yeah. wild. I feel like 13 is such like a, it's a particular age to be encountering the Enneagram. How did that, I, I guess I just wonder how that felt being so young and learning so much about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get deep into it for a while. I'd say, Maybe not even until after college hmm. did I really get deep into it. But at the beginning, it was super helpful. I was a super anxious kid. Um, just to realize that I wasn't nuts. 
Yeah. Like I see all of my anxiety patterns in this book and it's like, oh, it's in this book. There are millions of other people who do the same crazy crap that I do. Mm -hmm. And at that, even if the crazy crap didn't go away, it made me feel a lot better. Um, And some, in some ways it helped me see that my anxiety was not real, that it was just a pattern and it loosened up a little bit. Did it make you feel like you had like a leg up on your peers to like to know about yourself a little bit more? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, looking, (laughs) looking back at my own experience in high school, it was probably just as messy as everyone else Mm -hmm. uh, in a different way. Um, But starting in college, I realized just how much I was using it as a default frame and just understanding my behavior and other people's behavior. It's like having an intuitive foundation of psychology principles embedded in my head, like projection and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Just kind of got it already through that knowledge. And that made it a lot easier to interpret, like when my friends were fighting and when politics were happening and not take things personally. And so I've had a reputation for a while of being quite chill and very calm. Um, I don't know how common that is for sixes, (laughs) (laughs) but it definitely helped. It's like, and it was imperceptible how it was helping, but looking back, yeah, it was a big deal. Um, So what were, or I guess maybe it'd be cool for you to just sort of describe the the general basics of a six. And then if you want to like, intersperse how you personally relate to that every once in a while. That'd be great too. The, the basics of a six. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, he froze. He'll come back. I'm not frozen. I'm oh. thinking. No, he's thinking. <laughs> That's I great. He's not frozen. <laughs> That's good. I love that you're taking your time like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to see. What's here? Well, I'll just share it with you in the way it was taught to me. Yeah. Perfect. When we talk about the types and the way I think about the types is we start with our essence, our essential qualities, our gifts, and that's the birthright. Those things that we're born with that we don't have to do anything to earn that we like deserve just by existing. And for six, those qualities are awakeness and guidance. And when I'm in touch with those qualities, there's just this sense of knowing what to do, of knowing where I am, of knowing how I relate to the world. It's like, I plug in right here and this is my role. And I am able to just execute that. And there's no stress or doubt about it. If something comes up, it's super easy to deal with. Um, And there's also this quality of awakeness, which is like loving attention, really paying attention to my world, noticing stuff. Uh, It's sort of a wide-eyed quality. It's, there's a, you know, six is the center of the head triad. So there's a core thing in there and five and seven are like, almost offshoots of that. There's like this basic headness. The awake head center is exemplified by six. Like the awake heart is in three and the awake body is in nine. They're, that's why they're on the triangle. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so there's all of that wonderful like 
security and support, self-confidence, awakeness, guidance that's present in the, in the six, but then life happens and we are not enlightened beings. And it's like getting kicked out of heaven. All of that awakeness and guidance gets pulled away and we feel the loss of that essence profoundly. Um, some other types, like awakeness and guidance, it's not, it's not everything to those types. So like, I can do without that. I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to figure out what my unique individuality is. I'm just going to go find my peace. I'm going to try and love people, whatever. No, but for six, this is everything. It's like, if I don't have this awakeness and this guidance, I feel completely clueless. Like the world hmm. is a hostile, dangerous place. And I need to get that back or I am going to be in pain forever and die. And it's like this basic fear that's darkness, having no support orientation, blah, blah, blah. So the personality notices that this is happening and it forms around trying to address that. So the whole personality of the six, the loyalist, exists to try to get back that essential gift. So what the loyalist is doing is trying to create awakeness and guidance which is a really noble pursuit, but it doesn't know how to do it because it's an ego. It's just, you know, little old me. I don't really know how to get the real thing. I'm going to fake it until I make it, hopefully. But what I end up doing is doing loyalist stuff, um, which tends to be self-doubt, giving my loyalty away too easily, um, being hypervigilant, and all of the typical behaviors that you see of six. So... When we talk about personality types, it's just really important to see why they exist, which is really, we're trying to get back at the gift. They're all super noble if you know what they're about. Hmm. Um, and getting in touch with those essential qualities has made me fall in love with my own type. Hmm. I, I wouldn't want to be any, any other type. A lot of sixes get really down on themselves. <laughs> they don't want to be a six. It takes them forever to come to it. They don't like it. It could be anything else. Why can't I be a seven or a nine or whatever? But I don't want to be a seven or a nine. They've got they've got their issues. <laughs> I've got my, my issues. I know how to deal with my stuff, so I'm gonna stay here. Hmm. So I like to be out in the world and at least sharing with sixes that there's a lot to love about who we are. It's really important, especially in the world now. We need awakeness and guidance. If you look around, like there's a lot of that missing. So stand in that when you can. Dang, I think that was going to be so nice for sixes to hear. I know. I, I love the approach of starting with essence. I do like that, though. I mean, sixes do get, uh, well, I, I guess just depending on who you're talking to, sort of, yeah, a bad rap for being anxious or, you know, um, focused on the negative or something like that. And, um, yeah, we, we've done one other six episode, and we have a really great friend of ours named Kaylee, who's our six friend, and... um. Uh, like that awakeness, that awareness. Um, we, we did a, um, a trivia game a few weeks ago on this team that we're all a part of with lots of people who know Macy, mm -hmm. but McKaylee did better than everybody far. And it surprised me. It really surprised me. And it's like, Whoa, McKaylee really pays attention to her friends and to the people that matter most and really logs away those details about people in a way that nobody else can. Mm hmm. And it was it almost seemed like effortless. Like she was, she was just like, yeah. I, know, I think I she know generally does better than everybody else in all of those. Yeah. Like she just is paying attention to everybody, you know. <laughs> so that might be an example of a social six, actually. Hmm. I think I think she is. Yeah. 
Um, okay, I wonder if you could share a little bit about, so sixes are kind of, when people hear about sixes, they hear anxiety and they hear fear, and they're at the center of that fear triad. So I wonder if you could speak a little bit to how you experience fear and what that's like for you. In my life, this anxiety comes up. Um, I think the, wor the word that Russ Hudson uses for it is angst. Uh, the heart suffering passion of the six. And it's really this yucky, twisty, like hand clenched around your heart feeling of, I have no idea what to do and I have to do something anyway. Hmm. And it's just the terror of being up against that necessary decision while feeling completely helpless. Um, and really damned if I do, damned if I don't. Um, people say that kind of, kind of flippantly, but it completely feels like that. Like there is no right way to get out of this situation. And when I'm stuck in that angsty pattern, there's no open-mindedness. Like that is mm. the mind shut down. Like there's no clear thinking. Uh, I think I'm thinking, I'm, I'm a head type. My, I have lots of thoughts going through my head, but I'm not thinking and they're all the same thoughts. And there's no way to get out of that pattern unless I'm able to ground or someone is able to come in and be the ground for me. Uh, <clears throat> and what, what has helped me, and I can talk more about this if you want, is um, there was this quote that I love, which is, anxiety is just excitement without breathing. <laughs> and that has helped me a lot because there's some things that I'm just anxious about, like, you know, there's a bad guy in the closet, that kind of thing. I can't tell why I'd be excited about a bad guy in the closet. That just seems scary. But if I'm, you know, going to be on this podcast, for example, uh, I could have been consumed by anxiety all day. And certainly it came up various points in the day. It's like, oh boy, I've never been on a podcast before. What am I going to say? I don't want to try and sell myself or do anything stupid. I want to make a good impression. Blah, blah, blah. Doubt after doubt after doubt after doubt comes up. And then it's just like taking a pause that quiet mind is that growth path for six. And um, remembering that there's excitement under this, it's like, yeah, what? Well, actually, I'm actually really excited to do this podcast. Hmm. It's like almost like I'm not allowed to feel excited. Like it's not okay to just feel excited about something. I have to get worked up about it hmm. and then angry about it. <laughs> Turn into this whole big deal. And that's just a pattern. It will it will get going and it'll go a certain way. And depending on how present I am that day it's going to go away with me or I'm going to be able to come back and have a <clears throat> more pleasant experience. Hmm. I think you're modeling it too. Even when I thought the screen was frozen and you were just taking a moment. I mean, honestly, we don't really allow ourselves to do that very well as humans, you know? Um, I would just love more space to do that. Just seeing like casual conversation at dinner, like just let me breathe. Let me close my eyes and think about that. That's, especially for a six, but almost like head types in general. I mean, five, I can really get in that headspace of like same similar thing, like racing mind. Mm -hmm. And you don't even realize you're doing it. you're just like thinking. And to, to settle that is quite a feat, <laughs> you know? There's a funny thing about fives. It's like they've got all the energy of an eight, but it's all in here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that feels real. That's good. <laughs> That's why there's so much energy coming out of a five and there's all this intensity in their eyes. It's like you're seeing an eight shoved into a, like a one foot square cube. <laughs> <laughs> that feels so real. I need to say that to my That's wife. Really funny. 
I, she always is just talking about like my facial expression and I'm just like, I don't even realize what I'm doing or like my, my folded arms. And I'm like my folded arms. I'm like, I'm on the surface. I'm feeling very calm. I'm feeling like I'm not putting out anything. I'm not saying anything. She's like, right. your brow is furrowed. And I'm just like, <laughs> Oh gosh, <laughs> man, that is so good. I just, this is so, it's so illuminating in terms of just the language for sixes, but yeah. like the advice and the modeling too. Man, did you have something else you wanted to ask? Well, I also am curious about um, this idea of what's the word for scanning? Uh, what's the word that people use? Scanning's uh, a good word. Scanning. Well, I it's the the idea. Oh, forecasting. Uh, forecasting. Like this idea of sixes are often like looking around and forecasting all that could go wrong or they're scanning for everything that could go wrong. And I wonder if you could speak to that. Uh, yeah. So that is a super automatic thing and it sometimes baffles me that other people don't have it. <laughs> I'll just give you an example that happened about a week ago. Um, you know, all this virus stuff is going around and uh, people with breathing problems, for example, or elderly people are more susceptible to it. And I was going out to dinner with um, my grandparents who are in their 80s and uh, have some breathing conditions. And we were going to an outdoor restaurant on the 4th of July. And we w went up there and I like immediately noticed that they were not following the social distancing guidelines, even outside there were like tables upon tables, everyone was eating. So there were no masks going around. They're like yelling, talking, waiters running around. I'm like, this is a death zone <laughs> for my grandparents. And, <laughs> but they didn't notice that both of them just walked up to the, um, the hostess. And I followed them like, kind of like, what are, what are, what are we doing? And I had to go and mention, Hey, uh, Noni, I don't think we should eat here. And they looked around and like their eyes widened and they suddenly noticed <laughs> what I had been noticing, which is that it, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> so it's, it's immediate. And, um, you know, I always, I always know where the fire extinguishers are. I always know where the exits to the house are. I yes. lock doors, even if it's probably not necessary. It's just common sense. <laughs> <laughs> and you're probably and like the worst door locker. I'm the worst the door locker. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's things don't typically go wrong there's there's some pretty amazing stories of sixes picking up on danger and avoiding otherwise terrible situations so yeah i feel like sixes are really intuitive like sixes are people because they're paying so much attention and their focus is on all that's happening around them i've noticed sixes being some of the more or the most intuitive types mm-hmm yeah, we, we're often like we get we get a lot of stimuli. It's like it just comes in, so that makes sense. Do you feel like with with friends or certain social situations, you get like a uh, an unfair rap or something for being like a buzzkill or like pointing <laughs> things out that that might not be as fun? <laughs> <laughs> um. I think earlier, like in, in high school, yes, that happened a few times. My best friend was a seven also. And <laughs> if you read the relationship blurb about sevens and sixes, it is hilariously accurate. Um, but he, cause sometimes what I'm doing is ridiculous. Like 
there isn't actually danger. I'm just uncomfortable. I might have mm. a moral objection and that's different, but I put my security reasoning behind it and then I get us all self-righteous. And um, <laughs> so that can happen too. <laughs> uh, these days, like I might feel a little uncomfortable about bringing something up. Like I felt bad about making my grandparents go home, but they were super appreciative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that, in that case, it was all in my head. Like they noticed immediately, oh, good point. Let's leave. Yeah. I, cause you brought it up. I wonder how have you been as a six since this whole pandemic has kind of happened? How has your response been? What's it been like for you? There was a moment at the beginning when I got pretty worried and um, <clears throat> was wondering how to like secure my food future and whatnot. I'm, I'm a self-pres dominant sex. That was a little bit of a, a, a preoccupation. Like, oh, should I stock up on stuff? Um, and I, I did that a little earlier <laughs> than the rush. Um, but since then, there's been very little overall anxiety. Most of my response has been trying to connect with people, hmm. like reaching out and bringing old groups together, like my yoga teacher training cohort, my Enneagram training cohort. We had, hadn't talked in like a year or three or four years in one case. And it's just been trying to bring these people back together and um, hold the line uh, Russ has talked about sixes holding a line. Hmm. It's we need to come together. Sixes recognize we need to come together and are good at creating those links, hmm. those chains. And I felt called to do that. And I started doing that. Uh, and it was also a focusing like impetus for me, like to get like a reminder of why this work is important and mm. motivation to keep doing that. It was crazy. Cause we did a um, episode where we interviewed like four types. It was like a four hour episode we did about their response to COVID. Mm -hmm. And we were shocked to see like the sixes were like the least anxious about it. Cause they just seemed ready. It's, it's like, we've been thinking about this. We're prepared. We know what to do in a crisis. And I just, I thought when we got to sixes, they were going to be freaking out. And no, like, the oh. sixes were like, yeah, I've been planning for a pandemic. I knew this was coming. <laughs> I had, like, yes. one of our friends was like, I've had bags of food in my basement. We're ready to go, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. I think yep. the eights were the, the mo biggest struggle buses with true, COVID. True, Which I thought was interesting. <laughs> yeah, the energy is just getting, yeah, like, smashed I, down I into your house. In my home. Can't, yeah. <laughs> can't control me. Ben, do you want to talk about wings a little bit? Sure. So what was your wing? Or what do you think about wings in or, general? Yeah, or also what's your perspective on yeah. wings <laughs> and how they play a factor into the personality? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if you've heard this um, theory, but the Enneagram is a circle, right? So in my view, you don't, you aren't just at a point, like at either two or three, you're somewhere in between and your wings are going to correspond to that. Um, that might even be in Wisdom of the, of the Enneagram. Hmm. Um, but there's there's an infinite number of places you could land around there. So someone 
right between six and five is gonna, they might seem like a five with a six wing or a six with a five wing. Someone right on point six is gonna have a lot of seven and a lot of five. I thought for a long time I flip-flopped back and forth between seven and five, but I think I was a little bit in denial about how just how strong my five wing is. <laughs> uh, it took a few people pointing that out to me and they're right. Um, the seven came out a bit in college along with my social instinct. I also thought I was social dominant in college, but it's become clear since that self-pres is on top and five wing. Um. Yeah, I mean, when you were also just talking about reaching out to your friends, that was that that hit me too. I was like, I bet, I bet it's uh, so self press social um, stacking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, how would you describe a six wing five? That's something I'm not very good at, uh, or don't care about. Um, <laughs> there's like I see a certain value in it to a point, like talking about subtypes, for example, wings, tri-types, all the different ways to uh, sort yourself into your particular zone. But at a certain point, it becomes counterproductive. Hmm. I second and this notion. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people who are very preoccupied with finding exactly what their whole arrangement is and it's distracting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you love this. And also, I love might be this. Wrong. <laughs> There's a lot of teachers too, who will type their students. I do not agree with those teachers. Um, I think that is a bad idea. I, so uh, I brag about how bad I am at typing people. Hmm, that's I don't great. care. I do not care what types my students are. Like they often tell me, and I'm like, ah, okay. Um, it'll become clear, first of all, when it's important. Hmm. But second, like the personality type is a starting point. It's yeah. it's good to know what you are. It's useful. You can figure, but only if it's going to help you grow. If you're trying to figure out what exact box you're in, so you can just be there and be comfortable, it's not going to help you out very much, is it? Um. <laughs> So six with a five wing social, no, <laughs> social sexual tri type. I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> this is good because Macy's about to lead a bit of a Enneagram seminar, and to I mean, you will already go in with that energy, but like yeah, I'm like we're not. I'm not going to tell you your type at all. We're going to talk about the Enneagram and growth and this tool because that that's what it he is here for. The type the typology to me feels like one of the smaller aspects of it, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll just, yeah. So the Enneagram itself is so much bigger than the personality types. You mentioned you approach it with this reverence and curiosity, which is perfect. Um, It existed for like 3000 years or more. before the personality types were stuck onto it. And the personality types are super useful and interesting and an evolution of the system. But the focus on that has gotten a lot of these other important truths about it lost. Yeah. Um, Like there is a reason that the types are where they are. 
on the circle. That was not arbitrary. There's a reason it's not just a three by three grid. Mm -hmm. um, and there are journeys you can take around the Enneagram with any kind of process. Mm -hmm. And the personality types themselves are just an example of those possible processes. So you can start at type nine. And Gurdjieff would call that striking a doe, like the first note of an octave. Mm -hmm. That's being. Nine represents being. And you go around a certain point and you gather these, you pass through these steps. And at one, you acquire this goodness. And then you need to look ahead to the true identity in order to progress to love. And then you pass through that shock point of getting the heart center involved. Hmm. And then you go through four and you have to look back to two. And then you go to five and you look ahead to eight and seven. Go through the shock point of six and you keep going. Hmm. Hmm. <clears throat> And I hope people forget that, but that's what the magic of it is. That's why it's so fucking cool. Yes, yes, I'm so with you. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> like, don't turn it into some stupid, trivial thing. This is awesome, and it deserves that kind of respect. Yeah. And I don't care what your try type. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm, I'm always yelling at people in their try types. <laughs> That's good. I mean, people say you don't want to turn it into a parlor trick, you know, um, and I, I think even when you hear people that have been practitioners for a long time, like Richard Rohr, talk about it, like they said for the longest time, they they there was a, a low key energy of kind of wanting to keep it secret mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, not passing it on lightly, uh -huh. you know, very intentionally. Well, I have to say, I'm super glad you invited me to do this because, you know, through my friend who connected us, I've gotten a view into the Enneagram meme world. Yeah. Oh and yeah. <laughs> as much as I love Enneagram memes, I'm like, please let me in there to talk about it in a different way so that all these <laughs> followers can get a little bit of the truth of it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it brings up like sort of ethics just even around that account I follow you through, which is Enneagram repost. Like, I mean, memes get the most attention and the way I justify it is like, I'm only putting it in there to lure people into the podcast, hopefully. And hopefully the podcast is actually more substantial, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we have I don't a, know. We have a whole episode that's Enneagram hot takes and I just go on a rant about memes the whole <laughs> time. I'm just so mad about memes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Simple. tough. It's tough. Um, uh, I it's complicated because sometimes they're so funny yeah and they're so relatable you know and so it's like i think it's it's one of those things where you have to recognize moderation and know it's like the memes can totally exist and have a really awesome place if we're all first taking a really serious look at the enneagram and we actually understand this like wisdom of this symbol and yeah. we see it as a symbol of perpetual motion and we're able to see it as what it actually is then it's like yeah we can understand memes but i people <laughs> sometimes are like the memes is their first understanding of the enneagram and it's just like you, you're not that's not the enneagram you know and so yeah i mean i mean i i, I that that account i created was so um, experimental. Like I was just like, let's see if I can get some followers here. Yeah. And also I was feeling constricted on our own Instagram account that Macy and I share because Mace wasn't wanting me to post the memes. So I was like, I want to, I got to find a place. But like, I, I do love now that there's some followers in a platform. And so for example, like I haven't proposed this to you, but it would only take a few minutes this week. I would love to post in the stories, like 
do you have any questions for an actual six this week? And you could, you could answer some of those questions in like an IGTV, which only is allowed to go 10 minutes. So it'd be short, but that's the place where I do feel like, yeah, whatever I'm using this account for, hopefully this has drawn you in and now you can actually get some more depth. But I mean, even I've never heard anybody describe it like that. Like we've talked about Gertrude and the movements. I know this is, that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, we talked, I told you this already, but Mace created a, an experience like that on Whidbey Island in these tide pools, but I had never heard anything like that. And you were telling me about, I was like, this sounds great, but like, it's essentially what you just described. Only you're talking about it a little bit in more of a formal way. <laughs> Not just like me going off and yeah. drawing in the sand and walking But you were saying that you're like, I got to the two and oh, I had I thoughts. Felt, and I, I felt every place I went to, it was like, I, I felt so much in each of those numbers and moving, like physically moving in those spaces. It, yeah. it's like, I've, my perspective on the Enneagram has changed since that experience I had. Yep. Um, well, this might just be a teaser. I can't remember if I told Scott, but I've designed an entire year-long course using the Enneagram as a process model. Ooh. So we're spending a year going around it and using it as a model of human transformation. Hmm. So literally experiencing the steps over the course of a year. Dang. That's so cool. All year. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm just saying. Like, I mean, somebody even, well, the only experience I've had on this on the Enneagram repost account is that everybody is excited that I repost their stuff, but there was only one person out of like 25 to 30 people now who didn't like it and was like, don't repost myself. I was like, that's okay. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But, oh, oh, it wasn't even that story. It was, I don't know uh, what you're trying to say. Uh, it was in our COVID <laughs> episode, I think. Somebody was like, oh, they don't even know the Enneagram. Listen to their first episode. They just, they, they mistyped somebody. And then their friend said they were an eight, but now they're a one. And he, he, he like lets his daughter type as a young age. And I was like, my response was like, look, we're learning. You're, you're, you're getting our learning in real time. And this is just another one of those steps of like learning. Mm-hmm. We're not, we always say we're not experts. We have yeah. not been trained and certified in the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, yeah, that is good. So what, what kinds of things will be some main talking points for this? So it, it's for experienced Enneagram students. So I'm not going to be describing the type so much. I've done that a lot. I'll keep doing that in yeah. other places, but it's basically, um, <clears throat> If you take the Enneagram as a set of three wedges, mm-hmm. so from nine to three is the first third, we're going to be talking about the journey of ego in that first third. From three to six, it's the journey of soul. There's this descent, you know, that abyss with the four and five. It's like a hole in we the bottom. We love that existential gap. <laughs> exactly. And from six to nine is the ascent to spirit. And you talk about... Um, the different journeys, but also how, like the lines point out what you need to be informed by in other areas of the circle. So mm. for example, uh, step two um, in this case is called uh, practice. So the theme of that, that area will be practice. And why do you practice? You look ahead to eight, which is represented by purpose. So mm-hmm. you're only at two and eight's way over here. So you follow it around linearly but at the same time, you're looking ahead. Hmm. Why are we, what are we practicing for? Um, 
and also going going from one to two in order to know to go from one to two one is knowledge two is practice you have to look ahead to four where you're involved where your effort is involved in order to know what you need to practice hmm. so i'll be talking about all of that there will be readings from Gurdjieff's books Riso and Hudson books jg bennett is a Gurdjieff student really like his stuff and then i'll also be doing enneagram in nature material i think that's a big missing component yeah yeah. Um, to get to get into that soul stuff, uh, Bill Bill Plotkin is a big name for that stuff, and then that last third, that ascent to spirit. Uh, I'm not even sure what the readings are going to be for that. We haven't gotten there yet, but the steps are rebirth and purpose. So mm. what do those? Mean? And over the course of the year, you go around the whole thing three times, so mm. you get to. Experience. That's super cool. I feel like I'm talking like an 80 year old enneagram sage <laughs> you're only 25 <laughs> this is I've great I've identified as, as a wizard ever since I was little <laughs> that's what it feels like Wait, that's awesome I introduced myself at the institute I'm like this this was the second or third training but I said I'm Ben and when I grow up I want to be a wizard you're on the way I think <laughs> you may just be there um we got like a ton of questions on our instagram should I mm-hmm read them yeah if for that sure works. can i ask one more thing while you look those up yeah, of course. i mean what back to being a six like you you mentioned this like shock point but also this idea of like being the center of the head type and yeah. i i don't know who said it but it somebody described this in a profound way of like a three is swimming in the heart and the six is swimming in the head and the and the nine is swimming in the body like they it seems like they don't have anything on the left or right to reach onto and and pull them out very easily. How does that show up for you, if at all? Yeah. Um, there's something so elemental about the primary types, nine, three, and six, that they're hard to pin down. And it feels like that. <laughs> it's hard to explain and it's hard to experience. Um, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the teaching of the scrambling of the centers. No. But basically, this is something that Gurdjieff shared. He didn't share the personality types, but there, um, he called something, he, he described this thing called the formatory apparatus which is a stack of your centers. It's like the higher head, higher heart, and then the three lower centers, head, heart, and body. But he said all every personality is formed by a particular scramble of the centers, and there's nine permutations of the scramble. So, for example, an eight will be, they identify with the body center. So they're like, they're like a body center type first. But in the average levels, they feel like they don't have... Um, enough energy in the body. So the body co-opts the thinking. So the body and the thinking get in this scramble, this tangle. Mm. And so it's, they can be very shrewd. Um, you can see how this like body energy in the head mixes. It's like this devious um, boss archetype. Um, it, this isn't in the average or the, or, or the lower average levels. Um, but what's forgotten is the feeling center. And if you've noticed, eights have a soft spot. Like we say that about eights. Um, it's like, that's the way in. You've got this way in. So all they kind of have to do, they, they, it's not inaccessible, it's just forgotten. So you just lean over to that feeling center and oh, there's the way to do growth. And a seven right next door 
is uh, flipped around. So they identify with the thinking center and then they need extra energy so they have their body. So a mm. seven's got plans and then they go off and drag their body behind their plans. <laughs> and the feeling gets forgotten again. So the way in for the seven is also a feeling. They just need to remember. Mm. They can be kind of cold sevens, but if they're reminded of their heart, they come right back. So every secondary type, seven, eight, one, two, four, five, have a way out like that. For four and five, it's the body. It's just forgotten, but once you're in it, you're in it. One and two is thinking. It's thinking. So you just have to, you know, you offer a one or a two a good idea. There's your way in. You often think with a two, like, oh, we need to appeal to their heart. No, (laughs) don't think you're being fake if you're appealing to their heart. But if you Mm. approach a two with a good idea, they're gonna actually get it. You know, if you explain to them why what they're doing is driving people away, clearly, logically, that's actually gonna be received. Hmm. It's just not the typical way of being. Nine, three, and six are different because they don't, they identify with that single type, but instead of co-opting a second center, they just double down. Hmm. What ends up happening is their center gets stuck in a box. We, we, we have little drawings for these where we draw a box around it. My, my, so wife, then, my wife is a nine, by the way, Ben, so I'm really paying attention to this. Okay. <laughs> Good. So a, a nine has its, its uh, body in a box, body center in a box, and then the thinking and feeling are outside. So the result is you've got two modes. You've got body mode, which is like puttering, spaced out, doing mode, like mowing the lawn without thinking about it kind of thing. Um, and then there's the thinking feeling, which is just like daydream mode. I'm just here daydreaming, but there's no connection. So nines might have a lot of um, wonderful creative ideas when they're in their daydream mode, but they're not connected to their body. There's no energy available to them. So they can't mm. actually do what they're daydreaming about. And when they're in their like puttery mode, there's no thinking or feeling present. So nothing matters. Oh. <laughs> three and six have something similar going on. There's two modes in both of those also. Mm. What's happening so with threes? Okay, I'll just do all of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. <laughs> three's got their heart in a box. So, you know, that might not surprise people. Three's going to be kind of shut off from their heart. Yeah. Because what they're doing most of the time is this, um, their, their, their body and their head is in one mode. So it's this getting stuff done mode, goal oriented. There's no heart in what they're doing. They can be very productive, but nothing mm-hmm. matters. Hmm. So three, three can, you can have a whole career in this mode without being connected to the heart. And that's like the tragedy of the three. But then when they're alone often or safe, their functioning just falls apart and all of the emotions just come up and they're suddenly in their heart, but with no resources to deal with that. So Hmm. they feel overwhelmed. Hmm. And as soon as they can, they march back into that other mode and get more stuff done. That is, that is really rich. Six is the thinking is in a box. And then the body and the heart are in this little tangle scramble. So When the thinking's in a box, this is this analysis paralysis you hear about. Like, I'm not doing anything, but I'm thinking about all the ways things can go wrong, and I'm sure everything is going to go wrong, and damned if I do, damned if I don't, thinking this, thinking that. There's no heart. There's no body. I don't take action. I'm not grounded in myself at all. I'm just, ah. And the other one is this angsty, dutiful doing mode where I'm just trying to get stuff done and fulfilling my obligations, and I'm being cranky about it, and everything's kind of tense and... There's not any clear thinking or thinking whatsoever. Um, <laughs> uh, sixes can have a reputation for being pretty abrasive sometimes. 
and it's just this like worked up stuff. There's no, you know, thinking's gone. And it feels the uh, getting out of that is hard for those types. Um, because you really just have to approach that center head on. There's no easy way out. So for the nine, you just gotta be in the body, whether you like it or not. For the three, you have to sit with your heart. And for the six, it's quiet mind. Hmm. So we have words for those. For nine, it's self-remembering, like literally remembering my physicality. Three, it's honesty. Who am I really? How am I in this moment really? And staying with that. And six, it's quiet mind or trust. Like literally, can you just be in the quiet head? And it's hard. So we say those types have revolutionary growth. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like same, 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 bam, That's all at what once. Heard. Yeah, and the others are evolutionary, more mm. stepwise. Wow. Man, I've heard that, but this now makes sense. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, what what's it? Have, have there been moments for you where you like had like a a profound memorable experience where you've experienced that quiet mind? I can tell you that it's what I resist doing the most. Hmm. Hmm. So it's like resist, 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 resist. Okay, fine. Oh, hey, that actually worked. <laughs> resist, 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 resist. And and I can, you know, looking back on my growth, life, whatever, it, it does feel like that. It's like a lot of flat. And then oh, suddenly there's this jump up and then it's flat again, jump up. Hmm. And it's annoying, but I can't say it's better or worse than the other one. Yeah, I mean, it's like that. What we say, like being in a trance or an ego fixation. It's like you're the, just the trance of thinking, you know. Dang. Yeah. Or do you want to do the questions? Yeah, that I was so good. I know this is this is really amazing. <laughs> um, I said there was a lot of questions, and I was wrong. Oh. Um, there's a lot of people that broke comments, um, but they weren't really questions. There's a few questions though. Uh, here we go. Okay. This one is, I have heard, okay, I'm a social six-wing five, and I personally suffer from more doubt rather than fear. I have heard this oh, yeah. from a lot of other sixes as well. I'm wondering if they feel this is a better indicator rather than the anxiety-ridden Enneagram six we are always shown with this question mark emoji. And then I'm also curious as to any suggestions to calm a six's constantly buzzing mind. I can't stop processing information around me, and I would love any insight into that. And then they clarified. So this is kind of two-pronged, and I could go back and read again if that is helpful. But they said, to clarify, when I say doubt, I mean self-doubt as well as mistrust in myself and others. Yeah. So doubt is the fixation, like the doubting mind. That's how the sixth head gets preoccupied. Um, sixes have a reputation for anxiety, but I don't even think that's one of those big letter terms, at least in the Riso uh, um, Hudson school. Um, it might be in the book, but I think it's been updated. But anyway, doubt, yes, it's absolutely doubt. And what makes it a fixation is that that automatically fills the space. Like it is, the six mind is a doubt generator. 
there's that's what it does that's it, it exists for that purpose if there is a void it will fill it with doubt so <laughs> dear dear six who asked this question and other sixes just like take heart that that's what it that's just what it is like it's a pattern it's going to keep happening it's mm. not real um it feels real <clears throat> and um i think the the clarification about the self-doubt is really good because there's also this reputation that sixes are super suspicious of other people and there is some of that but the biggest issue for us is this doubt in ourselves like self-sabotage the conviction that we don't know what we need to know and we don't know how to do what we need to do. Uh, and there's no clear way out of that. And um, the answer, like how to, how to calm yourself down as a sex is kind of what I said before. It's hard. It's okay if it doesn't work. Quiet mind is really important. It really does work. Um, <clears throat> I think that this might just be my own journey, but I don't think so. Um, I always take myself way too seriously. And remembering that humor hmm. and that lightness is super important. Um, I've, I've been learning to get in touch with my own um, inner sacred fool. Hmm. Uh, and they just like this, this inner being laughs at me. It's like, what are you taking it so seriously for? Like, this is your life. You can relax a little bit. And I just laughed because it was totally right. Like, what am I getting so worked up about? It's actually nothing. It feels like the world is ending, but it's actually not. <laughs> I wonder, like, so you've, you've talked about this idea of a quiet mind, but I wonder mm -hmm. for folks who are maybe just beginning to think about doing this, like, self-growth growth work, what kinds of maybe practices or things help to get you to that space of being able to have a quiet mind? Yeah. There's lots of things that can help. Some practices work for some people, won't work for others. Mm -hmm. But some things that I've tried that have worked for me are journaling, um, talking out loud and recording it, going outside and talking to a non-human being uh, might seem like kind of a woo-woo practice to some people, but if you think so, try it first. Um, it's very helpful because you know they're not going to judge you. Hmm. Like a tree? Like a tree, yeah. Or the sky, like something that resonates with you. Hmm. Um, it's important to find what in nature resonates with you. For me, it tends to be water, hmm. uh, like ocean waves. Um, when I can find ocean waves, everything else settles down in my mind. It's like it takes it from me. I'm mm. able to give it over. Uh, prayer can help for some people. Like, hey, I'm having a lot of crap right now. I'm just going to tell you all about it. <laughs> I'm just going to give it to you, God. Um, which is just a release, like letting it go. Gurdjieff said that the last thing people will let go of is their suffering and that goes for sixes too like actually we're pretty reluctant to let go of multi-thinking and doubting because hmm. that's who we are 
So we don't really want to let go of it. And I might go do all these practices that you say, but I'm not really going to let go of it because that's who I am. And what would I be without that? Things yeah. are going to go wrong yeah. if I don't actually, you know, keep doing what I'm doing. Um, that's the terror of our predicament, as Gurdjie said. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that resonates so much. Just this idea of like, we're, we're attached to these fixations. And yeah, it's like we... We don't know who we are without them. Mm-hmm. And so, and there's so much fear of what we would be without them. At least I experienced that. It's like, I yeah. mean, specifically suffering. I feel like I'm deeply attached to my suffering and to let that go to me feels like selling out or like I'm giving up a part of myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy. Oh boy. Boy. Oh boy. I mean, I have a, I have a question while you're looking up mm-hmm. that stuff as a, uh, I mean, some of the stuff you were saying just now, uh, in terms of self-doubt, re- reminded me what you said earlier about projection. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about projection a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> that is a big topic. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I don't have a psychology degree. I just have an Enneagram certification, yeah. but I will tell you... That's, that's our whole jam on this podcast. <laughs> so. <laughs> Not for long. it's one of the most most important things to be aware of when you're learning this stuff because so basically what you're getting triggered by in other people if you can identify what type they are that shows you what type you need to develop in yourself so it will tell you your growth area is you know if i get pissed off by threes that means (laughs) I have a big shadow three and I need to figure out what it wants and how to develop it in a healthy way. Or I'm going to be lacking a big part of my potential humanity. Dang, that right there is good. I, I know. I already want to, I'm going to go back and listen to this a few times already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'll often say um, ones trigger me. Twos mm-hmm. too as well, probably. And um, yeah, man, there's probably something I have to develop about that. Yeesh. Yeesh. <laughs> All right, do you have an Instagram thing? Yeah, it's the last question. Uh, someone was wondering about how can a six grow into trusting their intuition? and out- Oh, and also, how should a six manage trust issues in friendships? And then they wrote in parentheses, we feel easily betrayed or disappointed, for example. Hmm. Can you read the first part of that again? Yeah, totally. Uh, how can a six grow into trusting their intuition? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's something about, um, like, You just have to lean in a little bit. Um, I have been lucky to have an Enneagram teacher as my mom. So she's been very aware of the six pattern. And I don't know how much of what she says is conscious or not. Um, But I have had a very unconventional uh, (laughs) life. And I've, I changed my mind a lot, like complete 180s. 
within just a few months of each other. Like I will sign up for something completely, hook, line, and sinker, and then realize it's not for me and actually listen to that feeling. Yeah. Like if you're doing something and you're super excited about it and then two months later it feels yuck, like pay attention to the yuck. Don't just stick, don't be loyal to your own past nonsense. It's probably another loyalist aspect like loyal to our own ideas of ourselves hmm. it's a bunch of bullshit yeah um <clears throat> and i it's like <laughs> no noticing that i do this when these things like when i have a, a big change of heart about something it's a little embarrassing and i go to someone i trust to talk about it um and <laughs> preferably like some kind of spiritual director or psychologist or something, not someone who's going to tell you stick with the status quo, do what's safe. Okay. That's not yeah. what sixes need. Um, <laughs> it might be what they think they need. It's not usually what you need. You're very good at sticking to the status quo. Um, but to just have support in making those decisions is really important. And the more you do it, the less embarrassing it gets and the cooler it is just to see like, why your intuition led you here. Hmm. Like, I didn't know why any of this was going to happen, but things like once you start trusting it, things just start unfolding. And that, that sounds like one of those silly spiritual axioms, but I don't know how else I would explain my life. It's so, it would be super, super weird. If that wasn't a thing. Um, so kind of trial and error, kind of getting support, uh, kind of just sticking with stuff or not sticking with stuff, depending. Yeah. Do you think having a four as a mom has affected that for you? Probably. <laughs> I'm not sure how much of it is foreignness and how much of it is my mom as a human. Yeah. Uh, but there is this, like, there's, there's true, true identity. Like having a beautiful life is everything to her. And I've inherited that. I'm like, what is the point hmm. of any of it? If those things aren't present, you know, if I wasn't a six, I would be a four. It's right up there. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Authenticity. Authenticity. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I for sure am often changing my mind on things like all the time. Just like mm -hmm. the Very status quo. Quickly. It's like the, the, the message for me is maybe sometimes to stick to the status quo <laughs> <laughs> for like a moment. <laughs> well, you can tell, like you, you look at your growth for, uh, um, for four, it's up to one. Right. So there's that discipline. Yep. Like, actually sticking to something <laughs> maybe i should try that <laughs> not the same for six though <laughs> yeah yeah um okay and then this other question was um kind of talking about this idea of mistrust and mm -hmm. how to manage trust issues in friendships i am actually going to suggest um byron katie work for that I don't know if you guys know about that, but uh, Byron Katie is a spiritual teacher. Uh, she teaches about our um, 
like how most of your suffering is caused by what you're thinking and believing about reality, not reality itself. And she's got a whole process and school for this and free people to talk to you online. Uh, her thing is called the School for the Work. Uh, Byron Katie, B-Y-R-O-N, Katie. And um, for things like mistrust and friendships, first of all, you want to get clear on what you are thinking and believing about your friendship. Like, oh, I'm mad at my friend because they betrayed me. It's like, oh, is that true? Okay, are you absolutely sure that that's true? Right. How do you feel when you're believing that? Who would you be without that thought? Those are her mm. four questions. Mm. And there's a whole sure. process for those and you really need to get into them to unpack them. And then once you've done that, once you've gotten clear about like how much of it is all in your head, which hint, it's a lot of it, <laughs> not all of it, then you can like start digging into, oh, okay, something is actually not right here. I don't want to feel this way about this person. I'm Now I need to sit with my own feelings. Uh, long story short, there most of the work you can do on your own. And if you get through that, if you're a six, your inner guidance is going to come right up and be like, okay, either this friendship is for me or it's not. Hmm. And that's going to be clear. Once you get all your mess out of the way, what's left is the guidance. Hmm. That's good because, yeah, I mean, you don't want to just say blindly, just start trusting people. That's not the work. Like you still have that intuition. That's fair. Like you, you can still have valid mistrust in people, you know, but I like that. Is this true? (laughs) I know. I'm like, I need to let those soak in. (laughs) (laughs) How do I know it's true? Yeah, those are good questions. And what would I be without it? Yeah. Is that was that was one of them? It's first it's is it true? So you just have a like a gut reaction, like, yes, it's true. And then there's this kind of cloying. Are you absolutely sure that it's true? And then you have to really sit like, I guess I can't really know. Or maybe it is absolutely true. And then it's um how do you feel when you're believing that thought? And how who who or what would you be without that thought? Hmm. And um, she also has these cool things where she does turnarounds. So if I'm believing something like I'm, I'm angry at my boss because he's not being nice to me, you, one turnaround would be I'm angry at myself because I'm not being nice to myself. Or my boss is angry at me because I'm, being, I'm not being nice to my boss. And then you go through like, is this as true or truer than the previous statement? So there's Oof. a lot of work to do. Ooh, that is good. <laughs> that I can't is take care of that, but dang. Um, well, I feel like we like did a good deep dive on sixes, but I was like maybe thinking about transitioning to talk about Enneagram in general. I'm super done. I have I have a way to enter in maybe to that conversation. Great. But if you don't, if neither of you like this question, we can start from a different place. Sure. But I mean, kind of going back to the idea of the memes and Enneagram reposts and all that, it's like, you know, we've been talking about Enneagram on here for a little over two years mm-hmm. and we're learning as we go. Like I almost wouldn't want to go back now and listen to my first Enneagram five episode, although I'm sure it'd be very entertaining, but I was just learning about being a five. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like very, I mean, it's nice. We give her a lot, ourselves a lot of space just to pop off and talk about being a five. And I, I mean, it was sort of coinciding with me just, embracing my introversion and stuff like that. But um, if we picture just like starting over, like let's, pe- let's picture we've never done an Enneagram episode. This isn't, and, and somebody's just getting started on the Enneagram. Um, how, how do you, how do you, how do you recommend like introducing the Enneagram to people? Like, how does it start? Hmm. 
don't waste your time with people who don't want it. I know that's a funny way to start. Mm. Yeah. If people are in it, they're they're gonna like it. Um, <laughs> you know, like I'm running an Enneagram business. Trying to sell to people who don't care about it is a waste of time and disheartening. And it's the same if you're trying to introduce it to someone you like. Yeah. And just not getting it. If you live with them, they might get it eventually through osmosis. Um, <laughs> the people I live with. <laughs> but yeah, I, if you are getting into the Enneagram and it is something you think is cool, I guess there's a couple things. First, follow what is like super cool to start. And don't worry about what type you are. Just like read some stuff, talk to people. It's so much cooler. Um, like the uh, almost the longer it takes you to settle on the type, the more you're going to learn about yourself in the process. There's yeah. no reason to rush to the finish because there's nothing there. Um, people can get pretty worked up about, you know, I just want to find my type and be comfortable. Ah. Yeah. Uh, which is understandable, but you know, don't like that beginning place is really cool. So no point rushing through it. Um, and also I don't know how easy this is to discern at the beginning, but find good teachers. And the Part of what's real about the Enneagram is you know it in your own experience. If you hear someone talking and there's a little bullshit detector going on, like, listen to that. If someone seems like schmoozy or makes you feel uncomfortable or whatever, don't listen. Um, there, <laughs> there are going to be unscrupulous people everywhere, mm. including mm. in Enneagram schools. And there's also going to be a lot of people who are just trying to make a quick buck or something. Um. Now, I, I, just for clarity's sake, what I did not hear you say in there is take a test online. Oh. <laughs> 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 yes, if you're doing like a corporate thing, you can take a test if you want to take a test. Yeah. I don't care. I took tests. They're fun. Like the, those little quizzes are fun, but I, I don't think they're much more important than memes. Yeah. 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 They're a good business tool. Um, they're really useful if you want to get a team working together well, which is a perfectly fine use of an Enneagram. If you want to get results quickly, sure. Um, if you're on this personal transformation journey, you've got probably different priorities than um, immediately resolving something. Hmm. Uh, I guess if your motivation is to like fix a relationship with somebody, my advice would be try to figure out yourself first. Yeah. And don't, do not try to type your partner. <laughs> maybe that's too strong a sentiment or don't don't like go and tell their tell your partner this is what you are and this is why you're obnoxious please stop <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean that's the thing it's like sort of this i told you listening to the new beatrice chestnut enneagram um they just had a whole episode on unethical enneagram i felt so convicted because i just think it's like it's like um it's like a little baby with a with a with a a toy, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and you want to kind of snatch it out of their hand and be like, give me that, you know, and it's like, that's how I looking back probably treated the Enneagram initially. Like, and my nine, my nine wife especially was really slow to type 
And I was just reading everything there. I'm like, I think you're a three. I think you're a two. I think you're a one. I think you're a seven. You know, and, and then and then she's sort of dragging her feet. And I'm kind of like, you've got to type yourself. Like, do it do it fast. Stop taking your time. Like, right. I feel bad in retrospect. <laughs> well, that kind of thing is super innocent, mm-hmm. right? And I'm certainly not trying to pin anyone down. But it's... Once you understand a little bit about presence and once you know better, then it becomes your responsibility. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's it. There's there's lots of ways people are going to misuse this and then notice and then go, huh, okay. That's nice. Good grace for ourselves. That seems really wise. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of grace. <laughs> when you're at workshops, if you were like introducing the Enneagram, what would be like your first approach to telling them about the Enneagram? Like, what are your first few points, I guess? I don't use workshops to tell people about the Enneagram. Hmm. Okay. So a workshop is for someone who knows what it is. Okay. At least the basics, like, oh, it's nine personality types, blah, blah, blah. So they, they should have a premise, like, especially going into a weekend workshop. If I was doing, like, an introductory talk, I don't know. I kind of hate doing introductory talks. They're, they're not fun. Like you want to know if someone's in it first yeah. before you're going to be giving all your time explaining it. There's books for that. There's recordings for that. Um, so to be straight, I wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. In a workshop, like depending on the theme of the workshop, I would start talking about why it's so important in this particular frame of life. Like the Enneagram and Relationships workshop, probably do some blurb about relationships and how the Enneagram gets involved in that and then why it's so useful. Um, One of those little things we say is like relationships are super important. Um, So they're such a huge part of life. Um, The the snippet is it's easy to get enlightened in a cave. Hmm. It's a lot harder to get enlightened when you have a spouse and kids and a job and other fucking people to deal with. So you better learn how to put up with them. All those monks in India have it easy with their mountain whatevers that they go be alone. People are tough. (laughs) Relationships are hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things we talk about is like, even even, uh, superficial relationships make you feel like you're good at relationships. But I think one of the things that we, that? well, I think w- one of the things we've discovered is like the more we get to know each other, the harder things get. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think in the early days I was like, oh, like I, I told you I'm like 40, Macy's 25. So I thought like, oh, through the podcast, we're started on this journey of friendship. And I was like, oh, well, because I'm 40 now, I've um, learned all my mistakes and th- those weird things that happened in my early 20s with those initial friendships aren't there anymore. Now I get to start over. And the more we started getting to know each other, the more I'm like, oh, crap, those same things are showing up now They're in this French. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I feel like I feel like certain friendships can make you feel like I'm great at friendship, but like maybe there's maybe you're just ha- maybe you're not going. There's always I don't know. I, I guess I, I mean, sexual five. I was I'm always thinking like there's deeper places to go in friendship. So maybe that's my fixation. But. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's um something about learning this stuff is a willingness to take on responsibility for yourself yeah totally um and there's a 
there's a little rule. I we when we talk about the in the relationships workshop, we talk about Riso's rule and Hudson's theorem or something. But um, it's basically in a relationship, it's the responsibility of the more present person to do the work on themselves. Woo. And you're not going to use that as a way to like, oh, the other thing is you always assume that it's you. Because if you have mm. enough awareness mm. to remember that in a given moment, then it is on you to start doing your work in that moment. Oh, that is good. Oh, that is good. It makes, <laughs> it makes me want to stay ignorant, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm it kidding. doesn't mean you're healthier than your partner. It right. just means when you remember, it's on you. So how do I know whose fault it is? Well, if you're remembering, it's your fault. Do something. Huh. Ooh. Ooh. That's really good. That's, I love sounds this like responsibility mo- piece. Yoga mantras. When you remember, it's on you. When the time is yeah. on. Yeah. Start and the brush will be off. Yeah. That's good. Jeez. No, I think that that's, I think that that's really good to think about is this idea. And I, you brought it up even with like the idea of like, as you learn, you know, you realize you gain more responsibility with the more you know, you know? And so it's like, I am very aware of the fact that I'm always comparing, you know, as an Enneagram four, I'm just constantly comparing. And so now it is my responsibility in a way to stop doing that. You know, it's like, it's, I now know that that's my fixation. And when I'm comparing or doing some weird thing where I'm like idolizing a person and seeing myself as inferior because of that, it's like, it's my responsibility to, bring myself out of that and not place that on the other person. You know, it's like, that's, that's a me thing that's happening. And now, now that I'm aware of it, I have to, I have to find ways to own it and shift because of that. You know, it's like, I'll never get completely escape it, but I'm also responsible for the effect that that has on my relationships. Ooh, but even I like as you that say responsibility it, piece. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, our ego or whatever feels like such an addiction sometimes. Like, I'm just so aware of how I don't want to give it up. I don't want to give it up. And I do. And I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had a weird thought because I went to, ther- I, I go to therapy and I was just talking about how there, I had a, I had a moment in between sleep and waking up one time where I felt mostly conscious, but maybe you'd say in that sleep state, things feel even more heightened. And we've been talking a lot about dreams lately, but um, I was I was trying to quiet my mind, mm-hmm. and I felt it as a presence, like almost like a ghost. And as I was trying to quiet and sort of succeeding, I had this fear that like I was a little kid being left in an aisle in a grocery store, like I was going to be utterly abandoned, like mm-hmm. my mom's hand is like letting go of me or something. And it felt like panic. And yeah, I think that voice, maybe even for a head type, is so present and familiar and comforting that letting go of it just feels like, like you even said, like the bottom's going to fall out. Yeah. It was so scary. And it was just like just in my bed, (laughs) you know, (laughs) trying to turn off my brain. Pretty, I, th- I think sixes could probably relate to that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I have all sorts of questions. Go for it. Okay. Well, one question 
I mean, again, I, I mean, maybe this isn't like getting specifically into fours and fives if you don't want to take it in that direction. But like you did mention it earlier. I, I would I would love to hear your thoughts. And we haven't even done an episode on this, but I feel like we're due on that that gap that people talk about between a four and a five. Um, like, what is that all about? I don't have a more sophisticated way to ask the question. <laughs> Hades. There's um. There's a lot of ways you could interpret that gap. You know, we call it the um, abyss. Um, I see it as the it's like the descent. To the underworld or it's like the soul territory um in bennett's map of the enneagram of transformation uh those steps down there those come when you're in the work like when there's a certain involvement in into the work like at, at the beginning in the first third you kind of you can you can come and go. Things are superficial. You're just like learning stuff. You're not really involved. After you pass through point three, you are in it somehow. Hmm. And Ooh, you know, those areas, they represent like effort and will with a capital W. And five represents this suffering. Like there's fire. Uh, you can you can make an enneagram of the process of the kitchen and like how to cook a meal. Hmm. And from four to five is where the fire comes in. Like that's where the food gets cooked. So everything mm. on the right half of the Enneagram is raw and everything on the left half is cooked. Whoa. So that, Have out. you heard that? I haven't heard I that. I haven't. That's amazing. Dang. <laughs> that's intense. So type four and type five. And I'm just starting to like research and think about what that means in the personalities. But there's something about this intensity in fours and fives like you think of a suffering or dark types and fours and fives are there like the horror movie buddies or i don't know if you do like like horror movies but um there's like this macabre or like not shying away from death and darkness and vampires and whatever else is in there yeah, I think that's something about our kindred spirits that I think generates a lot of the energy for the podcast is you don't like horror movies and you don't like blood, but you definitely don't mind darkness or yeah. dark thoughts. Like sadness. Yeah. And so like I think both of us have found friendship through the idea that like there is, especially when it's coming to talking about like life and concepts mm -hmm. and theories not walking on eggshells. Like so many people, other people I've had to be like, Oh, I'm talking about a weird thing. And everybody kind of looks at me like, why are you bringing this up? And I'm like, it's so hard because it's actually all I want to talk about, but I guess <laughs> I'll keep it light, you know? Um, but Macy's housemate, Reuven, uh, I think, I think Reuven and I definitely have more of a propensity towards like horror movies and darkness and yeah. weird things. Like we both love David Lynch and his movies are just so weird and dark. And, mm. um, strange and creepy and bizarre yeah i think we love that well i've i've heard it said so like have you heard how the enneagram and the iliad are kind of connected no oh that would be fun <laughs> for you to look into but i've uh but he's the teacher yeah but no, <laughs> we're all, um, he's a wizard <laughs> it's true you're a wizard then um <laughs> 
So starting like the the story of Iliad is it's like they what's I don't know the main characters, but he goes to uh, he goes to all these different islands and the sirens are the four. And then in between the four and the five, I forget what the five island is, but it's Hades. Oh, so right. it literally is the underworld. It's like the the journey through the underworld to get to the other side of the five is the way that then it kind of comes back around. It's like then he's on his way home at that point after going through Hades. Yeah. Well, you can map the hero's journey on it. Mm. So like the call, the descent, the return. Mm. Um, I think the Iliad represents that pretty well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I had to do like a little hero's journey chart when I was in like high school about that. <laughs> Yeah, it's so tough. I mean, side note, this isn't even about the Enneagram, but it's like <laughs> there's so much stuff on story and it always comes back to the freaking hero's journey and our brain loves the hero's journey. And like once you have that script, you can watch all these movies and it's like, oh, it's the hero's journey. And yet you still love it. And then as somebody that would like to create or write stories someday before I die, I have that desire. But like you're like, okay, I could sort of quote unquote sell out and write the hero's journey and that would probably be successful. But also I feel like mostly called to tamper with the hero's journey. Like you're not going <laughs> to get that it. easy script here, everybody. I'm going to mess with the hero's journey. Life isn't that simple, but it's also pretty profound and it works for a reason. <laughs> okay. I have another random question. This is the random question. Because, <laughs> because you mentioned yoga, I'm curious what your thoughts are on kind of this idea of like an embodied Enneagram or kind of maybe what it's like for you being someone who, I don't, I don't know. You, you mentioned yoga and being in a yoga teacher's guild or whatever. So I wonder how, for you, how those relate and how they might connect um, for you. Uh, uh, well, I know a yoga teacher who's also a six. So I went through my trainings with who does yoga Enneagram workshops. Okay. So cool. You can do if you want. Um, uh, my mom has also done a yoga Enneagram workshop. Um, I have thought about doing one. I haven't before, but there are energies represented in certain poses. And one of the risks in learning the Enneagram is getting stuck in the head center stuff. We just intellectualize the whole thing and forget what it's really for. And remembering the body is super important. That's why Gurdjieff had all his movements. Yeah. On the sacred dances. There's, you know, your head is only a small piece of the puzzle. Uh, so there's lots of ways to engage with it. Yoga's one. There's a teacher named Andrea Isaacs who has done any emotion. Uh, she did a course of my training where you come up with a mantra and a mudra for each type. Mm. So you can really come up with some kind of pose. Um, and a statement too. So you're using your voice to call it into being um, of qualities that you want to develop in yourself. So I've used those to develop my very low eight and very low three, which I figured I needed. I just had very little of that and mm. developed mudras for those, like full-bodied mudras, not just like a little. Yeah. And like you stand up and come up with a statement. Like I stand in my power and I speak my truth. Mm. Like full-bodied thing that goes along with that. That's good. That's really cool. I've, I, I'll just say I do Kundalini yoga and mm -hmm. it like, I feel like doing that practice and kind of getting involved in that practice. We talk a lot in Kundalini yoga about this idea of relaxing the ego 
And we talk about that with the Enneagram. It's like kind of learning how to relax and be, you know, yeah. into your essential self. And I've just found it like so transformative and essential to me, especially yeah, I think as a, a four, the work is for me is to like get in my body and I'm self-prez shadow. So it's not in my stacking mm-hmm. either. So it's just like, I can easily forget that I'm not just a head and a heart walking around, you know? Right. <laughs> Man, that stuff, those instincts, it's so, I mean, it's all the type things. Like that's one of those things that I'm like so focused on self-prez. Like we usually record the podcast at about seven. Mm-hmm. And so I've eaten dinner before that. But this whole time we're recording, I'm thinking I haven't eaten dinner. It's all, I mean, I'm very present to this episode, but I'm also like, crap. Like, I mean, I mean I, I've not eaten. <laughs> you <laughs> you're like, and I'm like, and I could like, go okay. all day. Yeah, yeah, never, I'm and like, have forget you eaten? that I've eaten, not eaten, whatever <laughs> it is. I had Cheetos for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, I know, I mean, this might be sort of a way to start to wind down is uh, sort of kind of coming back full circle because I, I was I really loved that you started this whole conversation with the concept of essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that seems to be a uniquely Riso Hudson concept. I'm sure they also developed that from somebody else, but like that, that seems to be the thing they really lean into. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to say anything more about essence? Or do you want to reframe well, that question? Could could you kind of give a little bit of like what each number's essence is? Oh, you want to go through all of them? Sure. <laughs> if that's not too much. No, that's fine. People probably like that. I want to hear mine. <laughs> <laughs> First, I just want to mention, I think the essences were derived from... Um, what was originally Oscar Ichazo's virtues and holy ideas, like okay. they're kind of simplified versions of those, yeah, or more more obvious versions, I guess. Like the virtues and the holy ideas can be hard to explain what they really are. Like the essence qualities. <laughs> like, are you saying like the virtues, as in like kind of the path, like the flip side of the passion? Right. Okay. The qualities of the awake heart are the virtues. The awake head is the holy ideas. Um, and they can be a little esoteric to explain. So the essences are a little more embodied and they're more available and you can see how they deteriorate down the levels. Like you have more of this at higher level. It's not completely gone lower down. Um, and also it cannot be created or destroyed. Like it's just there. That's why it's essence. So I, I can go around. Um, let's start with nine. So nines is being wholeness, unity, and that points to, like all of these are, they're all aspects of one thing. Um, I think Almas probably talks about this in the diamond approach. Like they're different, they can be represented by different colors. They're just, they're they're facets. One of his books is facets of unity. Um, But wholeness and unity are facets of something just as all the other essences are. And for nine, there's just this basic stuff. It's like, I exist and I exist in relation to everything else that exists. And there's a wholeness inherent in that. Mm. Um, And this sort of like self-affirmation, like I am here, being, pure being, just like as a um, quality, like here I am. Uh, 
actually go to eight next. So eight is next to nine and strength and aliveness are related to that. It's also a body center type. And this is like the power of life, like life force, feeling alive. Um, I, I am an animal, I have neurons, I have blood running through me and there's just this intuitive sense of being here, like not dead. Uh, average eights are all preoccupied with trying to get life back into things, which is why there's so much like energy. Like I'm trying to like resuscitate what I see as a dead reality because this aliveness is so important to me. Uh, the eight doesn't realize that it's all actually alive and all I'm doing is pounding on someone's chest and they're breathing I'm like, hey, stop, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> ones are goodness and sacredness so those can be a little hard to explain um but there's this when you're really here there's this undeniable sense that what exists is sacred um it's like i don't remember if this is a quote from the bible or how to say it right but it's like god made the world and the world was good or something along those lines and it's like ones are just in line with the truth of that um mm. and their whole thing is they feel like the goodness is gone so they're trying to make the goodness and they decide what's good and what's bad and that's how they get lost um twos actually i'll, I'll go back to nine i realized i didn't uh say what nines do which is this perception that things aren't aren't actually whole and that the way to be whole is to detach myself and be peaceful and I don't understand that to actually be whole I need to be I need to be here like mm. what I'm, the only thing I'm doing is removing myself mm. so pretty counterproductive <laughs> um, all of them are counterproductive we all miss the mark two is love and sweetness so this idea that reality is permeated by love love is everywhere <clears throat> like I am a source of that in the world and it is unlimited. It's like I'm, I'm plugged into the spiritual realm. Like there's a conduit of endless love that comes out of there. It's not something I can create. It's just something that exists when I'm here, it exists. Hmm. And, and they get lost thinking that the love is gone and they need to make it, which is why they get so annoying with trying to do things for people. Um, I, I hope I'm representing all the types fairly. They're all annoying. Uh, <laughs> uh, three, um value worthiness glory this one's also a little tricky to explain it's like the glory of being me it's sort of this me within like i am me and i am of everything else hmm. and there's a glory in knowing that like i am a piece of god having a human existence and knowing that knowing my uniqueness among all these other things and i have that just because i exist it's not something i need to earn threes get preoccupied with thinking that they don't have any inherent value and so they need to generate it somehow and all the stuff they do is disconnected from their heart so it doesn't create value it just pulls them farther away mm. so they get lost four is true identity depth and beauty and yeah, this, this awareness of the depth of reality, the beauty in reality, seeing beauty in things, uh, knowing myself, like knowing my soul, being in touch with these um, multitudes within me. Um, no, I am. I, I am. 
I am me. It's it's related to the three. Um, and where four gets lost is thinking that they have no personal significance. So they try to make personal significance and they do that mostly by being different, by being an individual. And that will result in cutting off lots of things that are true about themselves because it doesn't the image that they've thought to create for themselves, which is a bunch of nonsense and not real. <laughs> uh, five, the clarity and <laughs> clarity and illumination. So I'm, this is like in touch with knowing. Um, <clears throat> I'm just able to see things for what they are. It's like this re really deep perception. And I'm able to do that because I'm super in reality. Like I'm here interacting in contact and that's what allows me to know and understand. I understand by interacting, by being here. Number five gets lost as feeling like they need to know something in order to interact with the world. Like, I don't know enough. Let me just take a few steps back, read a textbook, and I'll get back to you. And then they don't actually learn anything important. Um, like, they don't learn anything essential. Uh, <clears throat> so the, the true clarity, and like, the, the five is never going to feel like they have the knowledge that they need because they're not in contact with where the source of the knowledge is. Uh, six, awakeness and guidance. I kind of talked about the six already, but yeah, just knowing what to do, paying um, attention. And we get lost by thinking that I, I need to know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. I think I can't know what to do. So I go out and seek advice and uh, do all of those things. And I don't recognize that the knowing is in here. I'm, or I'm tapping my head for the listeners. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, don't realize that the knowing is in my head and I'm never gonna find it if I'm only looking outside myself for guidance. So I'm never gonna get there. And seven, the essence qualities are joy and freedom. And this is joy and freedom no matter what. Like, this is like the smile of the Buddha joy. Hmm. This is being able to be in, in a prison cell or in a field of flowers and being in touch with that joy. And the freedom is uh, not like freedom, like I can do whatever I want. It's recognizing my place. This kind of ties into the holy idea, which is holy plan. And like fitting into my, my role here and that there's freedom in taking that, like, there's freedom and I stop resisting reality. Uh, and there's just this beauty that comes out of that. But they get lost by thinking that they're not free, that they're trapped, they need more opportunities, that they don't have the thing that's gonna make them happy. And they're convinced the thing that's gonna make them happy is over the fence somewhere. So they go over there. And so they're never gonna feel satisfied because they never stop and see what's in the moment, which is the only possible place they're gonna be fed anything real. Thank you very much. That was really helpful. That's so good. good. Oh, man. I feel like we should wind down, but we'll do an intro. I think so. Yeah. And I, is, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, this has been so good. I feel like I'm going to have so many things to slowly process of what you've said. Like, this has been really helpful for me as a person, like, engaged with the Enneagram. So thank you so much. Uh, so, Ben, if, if people want to hear more about what you're doing or try to... Um, hook up with you for workshops like what should, what should they do 
Uh-huh. Um, everything is on my website, which is dragonguidance.com. Uh, so that has information about the one-year program I, uh, that I talked about. I'm also doing a one-month program starting in October, and um, I also do private sessions, one-on-one um, Enneagram sessions. So there's info on all of that, and if you just want to send me a question or something, there's a contact form, too. So dragonguidance.com. Dang, that, you're lucky you to have gotten that website name. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Do you identify more with a dragon or a wizard? <laughs> well, I couldn't think of a catchy website name with wizard in it. Uh, so wizard guidance? Potter derivative. I'm like wizardacademy.com sounds a little pretentious. I don't know. Yeah, yeah totally. Dragon dragons, dragons are like a cool, fierce spiritual animal. So, Okay, check that out, everybody. I'm sure if you're listening, you want to know more about the Enneagram. And Ben's the real deal, so check it out. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next week. Okay. <laughs>